Well, good morning again and welcome to Refuge. Um, so glad you are here. Today is the beginning of a season that churches have celebrated uh, quite possibly since the 8th century, uh, a season called Advent. Um, how many of you have heard of the word Advent? Okay, good. For those of you who have not, allow me to nerd out for just a second and kind of give you a brief history lesson on this. So Advent, it comes from the Greek word Adventus, uh, which means coming. So this is not found, this word Advent, in Scripture, uh, but we get this idea in Scripture of the Messiah who is coming, um, who came in the first century. And then as we, the church, we await again the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, this is where we really just kind of dial back a little bit. And I, for me during this season, uh, and I contemplate a lot and I kind of sit back and think about um, one day Christ will return and God will consummate his kingdom and we will not just be floating up in heaven, but there will be a day, according to Revelation 21, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be with Christ, and we will be with his dwelling. So for you and for me, that has a lot of implications for us, because we are in this period of waiting. Um, we recognize during this period of time of Advent that all in the world really isn't like it should be, right? Um, if you thought that 2020 was a really rough year, 2021 came along and said, hey, hold my beer. And we've seen that, yes, it can get worse. And so we as believers and Christians have a hope that one day, even in this crazy, ridiculous world that we are in, one day, Christ is going to make all things right. And the hope for you and I is that we'll be with Christ. And we cannot make sense of a lot of things that we're going through now, and that's okay, you're not supposed to. But one day, you will be able to make sense of it all. So if you have a Bible, I wanna talk about this particular time that we are in. It's a time of waiting as we await for Christ's second coming. I want to talk about this concept and how really this is a four-letter word that is used, not exactly used in the Bible, but it is a process that is used in the Bible. In fact, if there were some themes that I were to outline the Bible in, waiting would be one of those themes. So Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 12. It's going to take us just a little bit to get there. In fact, I've got several Old Testament scriptures. Thank you, Daniel, um, who said last week that I was only a New Testament guy. Well, I'm going to prove him wrong today. I'm going to go through a lot of Old Testament scriptures. This is an interesting time that we're in this season, um, and I'm not necessarily talking about fall or, you know, cold or warm. In fact, um, if I were to digress a little bit, I would say that Seasons was one of the benefits and perks to moving to Cedar City. Um, I come from Georgia, and there's one season, and it's called humidity. 
And so we were looking forward to seasons. But this season is interesting because the world even joins in with Christians in this season where we celebrate going from darkness to light. But that's not really the season that we're in. It gets dark at five o'clock. It seems like we're going from light to darkness. But the season that we really are in and the season that God can redeem is take that season where you're waiting and where you feel like you're in that darkness and he could turn it into light. So I wanna take us to Genesis chapter 12 and we're gonna talk about this season of waiting. Um, Genesis 12 is where we infamously get a very large promise from God to Abraham known as the Abrahamic covenant. So let me read Genesis 12. I'm gonna take it just three verses and then I will kind of take it apart a little bit as I can. The Lord said to Abram, he hasn't changed his name yet. So right now he's just Abram. Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And if you have a real Bible, that probably is a good place to underline and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is significant because prior to Genesis 12, Genesis is a book that I would encourage you to read through. It moves super fast. You have creation in Genesis 1 and then just three chapters into the book, everything goes really bad. Sin comes in and fractures and breaks everything. And we really don't get um, a, a really a, a face to the promise, but you do get a hint of a promise where one day through Adam and Eve, uh, there will be one who crushes the head of the serpent. But now it seems like this promise kind of unfolds a little bit more when God speaks directly to Abraham and he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bring everything back together. This is the Abrahamic covenant that God makes to a man that I'm going to restore all things through you. Now here's a problem and it's a big problem to have. He is 75 years old. I'm not gonna ask if anybody's close to 75 because I don't wanna call you out. But bro, I'm like, I'm not going on 40 and I feel it. I wake up and I can't move my neck. I didn't do anything but sleep. I brother man is 75. God tells him through you, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And through your line, I'm going to break. I'm going to reconcile all things back. Now, Abraham's 75 years old. Abraham ain't got no kid, y'all. He ain't got a child. And his wife the Bible describes her as good as dead. Now, husbands, I know I shouldn't have to say this. Never describe your wife as good as dead. If you flip just three chapters over into chapter 15, God comes back to Abraham. This is not just three chapters. It's 25 years. So you can do the math. He still doesn't have a kid. God comes down to him and he says, Abraham, I am your great reward. I am your shield. I am your protector. 
and I'm going to reconcile all of this craziness and brokenness back through your line, Abraham. And Abraham does the most human thing possible, and he, and he just tells God. He's frustrated. Like, what good are all of these promises that you keep giving me? You keep telling me that I'm going to have these children, and through my children, like, all things are going to be brought back into reconciliation, but I still don't have a child. What good are your promises, God? The problem is a matter of perspective, and it really just should give us some comfort the next time we want to complain about waiting on God. Honey, you ain't 100 years old. You haven't been waiting 25 years for a promise. And God does something so great. He takes them out of his tent. He says, I just want you to look up at the stars and count them if you can. And he tells them like, this will be the amount of descendants that you have, Abraham. You who are so discouraged, you who just feel like that God's promises are just hitting a brick wall. The problem is, is that our perspective is limited. Our perspective is temporary. God's perspective is eternal. And so for Abraham, this promise really wasn't about Abraham. And if I could just kind of help us out, typically when God gives anybody a promise, it's not really about you. The promise was about redeeming the world. The promise wasn't just about Abraham and his limited perspective of just having a child. The promise was that through Abraham's seed, that eventually God was going to bring everything back into perfection. Or when we get this word shalom, this perfected world. Now, this is a little history. After Abraham, he gets some kids. He gets Isaac finally. Finally has some kids. Isaac has some children. You get Jacob and Joseph, and you get um, finally this kind of weird scene in the story where hundreds of years have passed, and Abraham's descendants find themselves in slavery under the wicked Pharaoh. Now, this is likely 400 years past this promise that God gave Abraham. And God takes this man, Moses, raises him up and leads the children out of slavery. They find themselves from Joshua leading them into the promised land. They see other empires and they see other kingdoms. And they're like, you know what? If we just had a king, everything would be just great, right? We want to be like them. They have a king. We don't. Why can't we have a king? It just sounds silly, doesn't it? Like, we want a king. Why can't we be? We want this king. And so, okay, fine. God says, great. I'll give you a king if that's what you think you need. And he gives them a wicked king, Saul. But redeems that through David, through David, Solomon. And for hundreds of years, you get kings. But then things get really, really bad for the nation of Israel to these chosen people that God said he's going to redeem the world through. They find themselves in around 700 BC thinking about this promise that God makes. But, but where are they? They're near captivity here. And then there's a promise that God gives them that just wants to remind them through this guy named Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, I don't think I have this on the screen, but it says this, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zubalon and the land of Naphtali. 
But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult in every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. By 733, they take siege of Damascus and they invade all of the regions of Galilee. So this word gloom and distress means something to them, right? And right in the cusp of them being on an exile, the prophet Isaiah gives them a word from the Lord. And he tells them, you remember that promise that God made through Abraham that, that this, chosen, this chosen people, Israel, that God's going to use us to bring about the redemption of the world? Well, there'll be a child that will be born for us and to us. And that child will be fully God and, and fully man and righteousness will be his reign. And, and through this line, through this seed, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, will be born and he will come and he will reconcile all things back to us. And so here's the prophet Isaiah just giving them this little brief reminder that yeah, doom and gloom is the way things look for us right now. And just think, this promise was given 2,000 years before Jesus even steps into the scene. And Isaiah's here, 700 years, even before Jesus comes. Sitting here still talking about this promise. That one day, God's going to make all things right. And then after that, in Jeremiah, we get another reminder was that just Jesus coming on in or something? Just come on in, Jesus. Or it's just Robin. And then we get another reminder in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The little play on words that Jeremiah is using here, because the Lord is our righteousness, is the name that King Zedekiah had and how his name translates. 
again, at the cusp of being exiled by the Babylonians, here comes one more of those promises from God that through you, I will bring about the Lord is righteous and he will dwell and he will reign in your land. They are in despair. They have likely at this point by 700 something BC have seen the temple already destroyed. I mean, if you think back to Daniel's sermon last week, like think about the importance of the temple is where God's presence dwelled and suddenly it's destroyed. So their idea of where God is, is no more. They don't, they, don't, they don't know where God is. God's left them. The temple's been destroyed. So where's our hope at? And yet again, Jeremiah comes and he reminds them that yes, things look pretty bad right now, but there will be a day when the Lord of righteousness will come and his promise will be fulfilled. The reformer John Calvin says this of the scripture, as they were then exposed to slaughter, the children of God saw thousands of deaths so that it could not be, but that terror almost drove them to despair. And in their exile, they saw that they were far removed from their own country without any hope of return. And so the Lord God speaks directly through Jeremiah and he just wants to give them a reminder of the hope that will be restored to them. And so we flip through scriptures, you get Jeremiah, you start getting these screaming minor prophets and they're all saying the same thing, repent, the Lord is coming, repent, the day of the Lord is coming. And you get to the last chapter in the Old Testament where you find yourself in Malachi, the very last chapter, what you see, the Lord is coming. And it's easy for us to kind of go through the scriptures and see, see how fast God moved for them. Well, no, you know what you get again at the end of Malachi before Jesus comes? Yet another 400 years. Seems like a theme. And God doesn't speak to his people. And they find themselves in what we call the intertestamental period. They find themselves in waiting. They find themselves in this angst of when is the Messiah going to come? When is this long-awaited Messiah coming? I mean, they, they are in this period of waiting. At this point, it's been 2,000 years since God spoke a word to Abraham that he's going to reconcile and bring all things back. It's been 700 years since he told Jeremiah that I'm going to rule and reign and the Lord is righteousness will be his name and he will come and rule in the land. It makes me think twice the next time I, I complain about waiting for my wife to get in the car. Because doesn't it seem like that's how God moves? Slow. And I'll just be straight with you if I can. I get angry at God because I know he can do something about it. I know, I know what he said in his word, yet I get in this funk and this period in my own life where I just don't see anything happening. Like, like I, I know God is willing, I know he's able, but why can't you do something about this situation that we're in? Like, why can't you move in this person's life? Why can't you do this, God? And we find ourselves always in this four-letter word, this 
wait period where we know God is faithful. We know God, like we have the theological construct in our mind. We know what God says. We know who he is because of what his word says, but it just doesn't transfer from our head to our heart. What do we do in that? Well, we do what they did for 2000 years. We wait on the Lord. This is quite honestly one of the most spectacular ideas in scripture where we find ourselves at odds in our own lives. It's the waiting period. And then 2,000 years after God makes this audacious claim that he's going to bring everything back through Abraham, in Matthew's gospel in chapter one and verse one, we get this spectacular one little line here where it says an account of the genealogy of Jesus the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then finally, what the Bible says in scripture that that the angels broke forth in the heavens with songs, with an announcement that King Jesus is finally here. And for 2,000 years of them waiting and longing for the Messiah, to reconcile them back to himself through Abraham, who thought this promise was all about himself, through this line of Abraham and David, here comes Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, born as a baby, here to reconcile all things back together. This is the Christmas story. And the Christmas story, if I could summarize it for us, is that God makes good on his word. That God keeps his promise. And that through all of these years of laboring, of captivity, of being exiled from their country, from from wicked ruler after wicked ruler, God made good on his promise. And for you and I, If there's any hope and any encouragement in the scripture, it's that God is faithful and he will make good on his promise. It's just you and I, we're just in this season of waiting. What do we do when we find ourselves really angry at God for not doing something? When when we're just waiting on the doctor's report, what do we do? We wait. We wait on the Lord a promise that started 2,000 years ago through an old man named Abraham. God makes good here in Matthew chapter one, verse one. From the prophet Isaiah, that there will be a child born. From Jeremiah, that there will be one who is named Lord is righteous. Jesus came And all of that waiting for the coming of Christ was there. Advent is us waiting. But we're not waiting on baby Jesus to come. We're waiting on King Jesus to return. 
with a tattoo on his side of his thigh and a sword in his hand coming to redeem us from this broken world once and for all. So what do we, what do, we do? Waiting is rarely fun and quite honestly painful. It is the reality that we find ourselves in, in the visible sign that we're still in a broken world waiting for the final consummation of the kingdom of God. Waiting is painful, whether that's waiting on a doctor's report or lab work or blood test, whether that's just waiting in traffic is something as trivial as that or waiting at the DMV. Waiting has a way for us to shape us either for the good or for the bad. In one sense, waiting for the bad can cause us to be resentful. It can cause us to grow bitter towards others. I mean, maybe you're waiting on the apology that's probably never gonna come. You see what waiting can do. It can cause you to be resentful and and better towards that person. Or waiting could not to be some kind of passive thing where we just go and say, well, you know what? If this is my life, if I'm just gonna wait, then I'm just gonna sit in my house and never do anything. Waiting is not passive then, then waiting for Christ to return means that we have something to do. That if Christ has come, if Christ has come and he has died and he was buried for three days and he rose from the grave and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, if that is true, then surely in our waiting, don't we have something we should be doing? Instead of us in our waiting, questioning God, throwing our fist up into the heavens, wondering, God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? Maybe, just maybe, Advent for us is taking that kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus out. That perhaps maybe he has us in a season of waiting because we have work to do. Because we have a job to do as believers and and, and people who are following Christ, that there's work for us to do. And that work is laborsome and that work is tiresome and that work is heavy at times. And it does feel like when you're working for the Lord that you are in that season of waiting. Do we stop? Do we give up? No, we keep pressing. We keep pushing out this kingdom of God and taking what is dark and pressing it out with the light of Christ that has come to ransom and redeem your souls from the death grip of hell. Christ saved us And now we take the message of salvation as we wait out there. And so this 2,000 year promise comes to fruition and we wait for Christ the King to return. I don't know when that's gonna happen. And I would, might I suggest that you don't speculate when that will happen either because every generation is sad. Well, it's gonna come right now. You know, Jesus coming right now. Well, okay. Said every generation known to man. So you have an option to either just sit there and say, well, I'm just done. Jesus is coming. I'm done. Or we can think that he is coming, yes. 
but that could happen in a thousand years. So we still work. We still labor for the kingdom of God. This is what it is to wait. Welcome to the party. Let's pray.